podcast is interactive. It requires some listeners and some people on our side to do the hearing. So we're going to hear you. And if you want to talk to us in any way, give us an opinion. You liked it. You didn't like it. You got a good idea. Send it to info at I'm there for you, baby, dot com. On this episode of I'm There For You, Baby. Uh, I'm there for you, baby. So what's doing? A white guy from El Cajon? I think I'm good, but call me Brett, not Mr. Peace, please. <laughs> what, what do you mean you can't get it? Better delivery than Amazon. Yeah. Call me Mr. Tibbs, motherfucker. It will not go to a marijuana shop. And they come in and you take care of them. The president and CEO of Goodwill, San Diego County. Welcome, Tony. Go up to Orange County sometimes, and I park with the thing where you... You can park. You know, people want to give you stuff and people want to buy stuff and you're const- artificially constrained in some way. But, you know, they have a need and we've been about convenience for 91 years. You would give it to somebody you love. We want it. I have but issues no. with premature also, but we're not going to discuss it. <laughs> Come on, woman, pay attention. You're muted. Um, I'm There For You Baby is produced in San Diego, California, America's finest city. Presented by IVN. Yo, Adrian. Welcome, listeners, to I'm There For You, Baby, the Entrepreneur's Guide to the Galaxy. And normally I'm going to tell you what's on my mind, so you don't have to turn off just yet. So I am fascinated. Recently, there's a story in the New York Times about Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin started in 2010 or 11, and it's it's beyond my skill sets because it's something that you pay for that you can't use to buy anything with, but it's nice if you're a criminal. Here's the part of the story that is fantastic. Turns out in 2010, 11, and 12, lots of people, because this is the very beginning, they got Bitcoins in compensation for, or they bought 10 Bitcoins, and they put them in a computer because you have to put it on a computer log kind of thing. It's, it's a blockchain. See, I've learned that blockchain. So... Seven, eight years pass, and this Bitcoin, which was worth like 18 cents, is now worth $23,000. Well, it turns out that lots of these guys, I mean, we're talking millions of dollars, can't get it. What, what do you mean you can't get it? Well, here's the trick. Because it's secure cryptocurrency worldwide, whatever, you only get 10 tries to get into your computer to, to access it. What, what, what do you mean? Look, see, I got like 23 million, there's actually a guy, $23 million in his laptop, but he forgot the password. See, it's called iron key. Iron key, key means you can't open it. So you get 10 tries. This is unbelievable. So he's got $25 million on the laptop in Bitcoins, and he's tried eight times, and they've rejected him. He's only got two shots left. So he's so upset, he takes the laptop, seals it up, puts it in a thermomo, whatever, a crypto, and puts it in an ice box. And he's hoping that sometime in the next 10 or 20 years, someone will figure out how to find his password. But imagine, this is like treasure of Sierra Madre. This is Humphrey Bogart up in the, up in the, the mountains. You have a fortune, but you can't get your hands on it. So <clears throat> tells you something about being in the uh, password recovery business. Uh, I also got one more half a thing on my half-baked mind, and that is the difference between listening and hearing. So I, I wrote a column in the, in the newspaper, and the column was about active listening and how hard it is to do. Because normally, I know while you're listening to me, you're doing something else, you're on your cell phone, 
you're, you know, tucking the baby in or you're yelling at your wife. And that means you're listening, but you're not hearing. So this woman, Kate Murphy, writes a book, says you're not listening. Well, that's, that's true. And she says, <clears throat> it, it's, it, when she asked, when she asked her, her subjects, because she's a researcher, but is, what is listening? So they, apparently all she got was blank stares. It, it tells you how hard it is to listen. So here's, the, here's sort of the irony of today, which is listening is different than hearing, but what has happened in America in terms of American media is, watch this, podcasting has become the equivalent of owning a radio station. That's how you people ended up with us. There are 700,000 podcasts annually. There are 700,000 podcasts annually with 29 million episodes. And we're one of them. But the trick in this problem is how to hear your partner or hear your, hear your uh, employee or your customer to really hear what they're saying. So I have one trick I'll share. What I do, it's not as, I'm not telling you it's, it's, a, it, it's just one. You, the, the, my employee or the customer says, what I want is an XYZ and a yellow with four wheels and dual overhead cams. And then the, but, but they're not that clear. They say, what I really want is a car that goes pretty fast. It could be the, and so what I do is I say, so Harry, I think what you're saying is, and I repeat it back to them. Now, this is really a good technique because two things happen. It clarifies, did I listen? Was I really listening to what he said, he or she? And when you say it back, two more things happen. One is you clarify for them what it is that they were trying to say, or you create the possibility of shaping what they said to be more inclined to what you wanted them to say to you. So listening and hearing are important. It's what the CIA and SWAT team do to get people to go off a bridge. I'm going to the bridge later. I don't want anybody to find me. And uh, based on that, Barbara, that's all I got for you. And I want to introduce Barbara Bree, my wife, co-host, partner, and uh, love of my life. Uh, I'm there for you, baby. So what's doing? Well, Neil, I hear you and I'm listening today. Uh, I always hear you and I listen. <laughs> That's how uh, you have a good marriage. So uh, we, I love doing this show with you. It's about our favorite topic, innovation and entrepreneurship. And we know that today everyone needs to think like an entrepreneur, whether it's in their own business, a large organization, or a nonprofit. It can be in a tech company, a no-tech company, a restaurant, a gym, a hair, or a nail salon. And the common theme of our guests is that they demonstrate an entrepreneurial spirit and are not afraid to challenge the status quo. We call that relentless pursuit. That's right. Relentless pursuit will take you further than good grades is one of your favorite rules. Yeah, and I have Neil, the grades to prove it. Did you know that in 1996, Neil, California was one of the first states to legalize marijuana for medical use? And 20 years later, voters overwhelmingly supported a ballot measure to legalize recreational use. I joined the San Diego City Council in 2016, and I supported our city's legislation that legalized every part of the supply chain, cultivation, manufacturing, distribution, testing, and retail. Now that cannabis is legal, it pays taxes. 
and during the pandemic, it was designated as a critical industry, which meant that it continued to operate. The retail outlets stayed open and consumers continued to buy. We'll learn more about how the industry is doing from our next guest, Brett Peace. Brett is the general counsel for March and Ash, which owns several retail cannabis outlets in San Diego County. Welcome, Brett. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great. So tell us, you know, you grew up in San Diego County in the eastern part of the county. Uh, you went to uh, Michigan Law School. You were doing, you know, very fancy corporate law all over the world. How did you end up in the cannabis business? Um, not by uh, immediate choice. So yeah, I live in the unincorporated area of San Diego County, which itself is now taking up legalization. Um, but I grew up there in a small community with close friends. I ended up in the industry because two of my high school friends, including my next door neighbor growing up, uh, were pursuing their first permit for a retail cannabis outlet in the city of San Diego. Uh, it was at the time under the old 96 law, it was going to be a medical dispensary. And uh, those are very uh, land use uh, intense processes. And they reached out to me to see if I could help them uh, get that permit, which we successfully did. And from there, uh, to Neil's point about being persistent, uh, we realized that we were a pretty good team and we were pretty good at that. And we uh, proceeded to um, go and try to grow the company by obtaining new permits and new sites. And uh, there's really no more to the March and Ash story than that. Uh, those two high school buddies, Blake Marchand and John Sacco are the other- Oh, well, wait, wait. How does it get the name March and Ash if it's Sacco and Vanzetti? <laughs> that was a decision that um, took a, a lot of uh, input. At the time, this was 2017. And so you, you still had a lot of uh, people um, who weren't for cannabis. People forget that the law, the proposition in California that legalized cannabis recreationally was still opposed by almost half of the voters. And so my partners and I, we all have kids. Um, we're kind of working in an environment of how do we do this responsibly? And so March and Ash came about because we didn't want to be another greens, another sort of play on a cannabis word. We wanted something that wasn't directly associated with cannabis in terms of youth and whatnot, but also had a high-end feel. Uh, and so we, we had a team of folks who came in and uh, they, one of my partner's name is Blake Marchand. And so they took that March and added Ash and that, that was how March and Ash was born. And so it's, you know, it's not cheap to get a permit. You had to spend a lot of upfront money uh, to go through the regulatory process to acquire the property. So how much did it cost you to get your first store up and running? If I wanted to get in, I, I wanna be your partner. And I say, turnkey, Brett, I write a check and you open a high-end store with a coffee bar and a kind of Cheech and Chong playing in the background. What does it cost? I am a lawyer and I am listening. If it's a tenant improvement, you're looking at a million to a million three. We have projects that we've spent over $2 million on because they're complete new construction. I'll accept that answer, right. Your Honor. And, and right now, uh, what are you- What that means is I was only going to write a check for five grand, so I'm not in the deal. Right. I think this points out this is um, an industry that requires a lot of upfront capital to get started in. You can't borrow this kind of money from a bank because of it's still illegal on a federal level. 
So how large has March and Ash grown to? We have three locations that are open across San Diego and Imperial counties. Those are retail outlets, um, all beautiful stores. Uh, we have a fourth that's completed and should be opening this week, uh, a second location in San Diego. And we have uh, three other locations that are in the development cycle. They've been awarded permits and they are either going- So what, what, were your, what, are your, what is your current run rate in revenues, Brett? In 2021, we, we will cross $100 million. Right, that's significant, Neil. This, this, they have built a company that is doing $100 million in revenue in uh, both San Diego and Imperial County. Great. And so, so why what don't is, we take what, our retirement money and invest with him? <laughs> I don't know that they're taking no investment. What is the starting, uh, starting salary? Starting salary is uh, $19 is where we've set it with labor. Um, we also provide health benefits to all our employees and uh, this week or next week, we have a very exciting announcement with our partners at the UOCW uh, about some initiatives we've talked with you about, Barbara. Um, I'll give you some mm -hmm. high points now. As part of our bargaining contract we're completing, we are setting aside $30,000 per location to provide uh, highly subsidized uh, quality uh, childcare. We have a number of single parents that work for us. I uh, will be doing that uh, regionally. Neil will be happy to uh, find out that we are um, doing something very novel. We've worked with the international. We are taking uh, company equity and it will be put into a fund that will then fund uh, employee benefit programs. This is so, great. This is like a miniature ESOP or what's called phantom stock. Correct. But, okay, and here's the hard so question. So I love this because Brett and I have talked about this. I mean, they're creating an employee ownership model to some extent. And I think providing uh, subsidized childcare, this is going to give you a leg up in uh, recruiting and retaining no, it, it, the best employees. It, it makes him unique without question. Okay, here we go. Last question, pay attention. Tell me about what the customer looks like. Is he a short 70-year-old <laughs> old Jewish guy wearing a hood because he's afraid to be seen? Who comes into the store? It actually is. So <laughs> um, we're in a number of jurisdictions, so with very different demographics, but uh, we try to make everybody comfortable. I'll, I'll tell two stories that sum up who our customer base is. Three. First is our investors, when we first opened our Mission Valley location, were shocked as they looked at the security footage and realized a big part of our customer base are professionals who are stopping by on their way back from work, people in suits, soccer moms. Um, the second is we, we teach a course with the community college in the city of San Diego. And in our first year, um, something was said that really bothered us. Uh, some of the students indicated that they were intimidated to come into March and Ash. Um, we run a really high-end feel in terms of the location, not pricing, just the feel of our facility. And a lot of the other marijuana outlets are run what they call like trap shops, like a smoke shop. So we never intended for the high end feel of our facility to intimidate people. And so we actually had to make uh, considered changes in how we operate and we market to make sure that we weren't putting off that customer base. Um, and so that's kind of, that's a customer base. The third is, I can't name the name, but we've had a number of high profile people call and say, one example, my wife and my mother-in-law need to get products for the animals, but they will not go to a marijuana shop. And they come in and you take care of them. We take care of them. And in one case in particular, Barbara would know this person. He said, 
Well, they had a good time and they said they're going back tomorrow because it's like a Neiman Marcus. <laughs> Our goal is to sort of make everybody comfortable. I will say, you know, the, the image people have of a cannabis shop, we have a lot of customers come thinking they're gonna see a bunch of young people sitting around in hoodies with Cheech and Chong in the background, as you said before. That's not the feel we're going for and it's not our customer base. And we do that consciously in terms of how we market, but also as Barbara would know, in terms of the regulatory decisions we make, either with the municipality or sometimes through self-enforcement. An example is we have jurisdictions where we could sell 18 to 21 medical. And a number of cases we've worked with those jurisdictions and voluntarily sold only 21 and up. So we have a broad customer base that's very conscious um, but underlying that is really trying to define not our customer base, but what is responsible adult use. Great. So Brett, what percentage you do do delivery? What percentage of your revenues are by delivery? It's approaching 20%. It got a big boost during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. and, and this goes to, to sort of the entrepreneurship. Um, we, uh, before the pandemic, when we first opened, we invested heavily in our own technology. Um, uh, certain other, op we used to be kind of ridiculed for it. Why aren't you just printing money, right? No, we're investing in our employees and we're investing in our technology. So we have a web platform that is not an out of the box that we bought or through a contractor. We built our own online web platform, which interfaces with the POS system, which interfaces with the delivery center. So if you go to marchandash.com, we not only built that, we own it and it's very sophisticated. And so we have better delivery than Amazon and wow. it's user friendly. And we invested heavily in that, not in anticipation of a pandemic, but what happened when the pandemic occurred is a lot of customers moved to delivery and we consciously moved marketing to delivery. And I guess the way to sum it up, Neil, is within weeks of the pandemic, other companies were reaching out to our partners who built our website saying, we want March and Ash's website. And so, I guess it's maybe a competitive edge, but we think we captured a lot of other people's business. Uh, people of color were disproportionately hurt by the war on drugs. I mean, you were more likely to, if you you know were caught with possession of cannabis and you were a person of color, you were more likely to go to prison than if you were a white guy from El Cajon, quite frankly. Uh, I read that just the other day, Jay-Z has started a $10 million fund uh, to invest in cannabis to help uh, minority entrepreneurs. Um, what are your thoughts on all of this, Brett? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it needs to be done. Uh, what's happened, and people are aware of it, is most of the equity programs have been gamed. Okay. And, um, you know, an they get an equity applicant, the equity applicant gets $50,000, but they ultimately don't have any of the real sort of equity upside, right, Neil? And right. Uh, kind of, I don't know what Jay-Z is doing, but some other celebrities have gotten in and they've realized they've been burned because they're partnering with bankers. And what they're doing is they're going in and they're really going with uh, public marketplace. They're going in and trying to capture permits or buy stuff up. I say that because we need equity and we worked hard at March and Ash with labor and others to sort of make the point that equity starts by keeping it local. Right, what you're seeing in San Diego is most of the other companies have sold or are sold selling to what they call these MSOs or these SPAC platforms. They're being bought up by bankers who partner with a celebrity and make it look good. But what they're really doing is building a platform to go public in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So we've said equity starts with what we can control is hire local, stay local, 
treat your employees well, which we went over earlier. And then what we need to do with a permitting framework is make it real. Don't have these equity programs that say, oh, this person has to be a 20% owner, then they go partner with a bunch of white bankers from New York. That's what's happening. Mm -hmm. No, give them the permit, make sure they have the funding, which they can get. If the permitting framework is consistent, it can be financed, right? You're how you think about it is so classy. Yeah. <laughs> what we've said is with the local industry, we've said it time and again, and we're getting traction. What we need to be doing, if the city needs to do its part, the communities need to do that part for the applicants and we can do the funding. Folks like March and Ash just need to be there to say, and all these systems we talked about, our web platform, right? Our know-how. We need to be there as an incubator, right? Not as somebody trying to gobble these things up, but as a true local partner that says, you know what, I can look at the Barber Bree in the city and say, they're gonna succeed because March and Ash is there as a partner with the city. They're gonna have our systems, they're gonna have our know-how, and we're gonna make sure that we do real equity, which is keep it local. Great. Brett, uh, yours, the story of March and Ash is a great local San Diego story, demonstrating an entrepreneurial spirit, figuring out your market niche. And uh, we wish you much success because I know you pay a lot in taxes to the city of San Diego and the state of California. Thank you Thank for you. joining us today. Great, thanks. I'm Brett Peace, the general counsel for March and Ash. You're listening to I'm There For You Baby, the entrepreneur's guide to the galaxy and cannabis. Neil, Brett's story of how he and some of his high school buddies started March and Ash Fantastic, great entrepreneurial spirit, figuring out a different market niche than most other cannabis companies were seeking, and their focus on paying their employees well, uh, providing uh, childcare. Um, what a great story. It's really classy, shows a lot of leadership. It defines them in the market. And unfortunately, Barbara, you know, I have this old bong and I'm probably going to have to give it away because I don't think we need it anymore. Um, I, think that, I think they're great. I think it's terrific. I think, you know, at a larger level, cannabis, America, drugs, uh, people of color in prison. You know, I spent time teaching at Donovan. And it's a big discussion, not just legalizing cannabis, but how we think about drugs and and that leads and crime and money and equity. It is a more than 20 minute segment. Yeah, and the equity issue is very important and something uh, we can address in a future segment. We could actually uh, have a piece on ESOPs because although it's not a classic, what he's doing, lots of companies that I'm coaching and advising, whether it's stock options or phantom stock, it's some requirement by the owner to understand if you want quality employees, they gotta have a stake. Nobody's right. gonna- And ESOP listeners, employee stock ownership plan. Correct, uh, I, I should have been more, that yeah. was a little bit of like when you use uh, CIA or right. FCC so, or- Listeners, don't go away. Coming up on our next segment, we'll talk with Tony Giffen, the president and CEO of Goodwill of San Diego County about the impact of COVID and how this 91-year-old organization adapted their business model. Thank you for listening to I'm There For You Baby, presented by IVN.
COVID pandemic has hit America hard, but it has devastated underserved and economically challenged communities of color. Nationwide, black individuals have seen 2.6 times greater infection rate than their white counterparts. The news is especially frightening for African-Americans who are at a greater risk of severe complications from COVID-19 due to underlying conditions such as heart disease, diabetes, and obesity. I'm Armand King, co-founder of Paving Great Futures, and I'm encouraging everyone in our communities to do their part, get tested, mask up, and avoid gatherings. Get the facts on COVID-19 on how you can best protect yourself, your family, and your beloved community. This message is brought to you by the Multicultural Health Foundation with funding from the County of San Diego in support of the Live Well San Diego vision for healthy, safe, and thriving communities. Do you have a business, nonprofit, or campaign that needs to break through the communications clutter? For over 10 years, IVC Media has developed a suite of digital tools, data sets, and creative techniques, all to help corporate, government, and nonprofit organizations like you deliver authentic, innovative, and effective communications. Our teams in San Diego and Tijuana can help you overcome the most challenging communications projects in any language or location. Visit us today at ibc.media. You're listening to I'm There For You Baby, presented by IVN. I've been chastised. There is a second segment, and I'm going to introduce you to Barbara Bree, my wife, co-host, partner, and on a times, from occasion, a, a critic of my uh, style. So, Miss Bree, good afternoon. Uh, Neil, it's great to be with you today. Uh, as always, you keep me uh, laughing at home. Very important uh, ingredient in a long-term marriage. You know, Neil, recently I was walking in our neighborhood shopping area, and I noticed a line in front of two different stores, and only these two stores. One was Lululemon, and the other was Goodwill. And I've always thought of Goodwill as a place to donate clothes and other items I don't need, and as a place to get a good deal or to find some vintage clothing. But Goodwill is a lot more than this, and we'll learn what this 91-year-old organization is up to and how they're coping with COVID as we talk with Tony Giffen, the president and CEO of Goodwill San Diego County. Welcome, Tony. Thank you, thanks for having me. Great, so tell us about Goodwill San Diego County. How big are you, how many stores? Give us an overview of your activities. Well, we're a pretty large organization. We have uh, 34 retail locations, uh, including a clearance center, two outlets, and one online e-commerce platform. And then we have 17 standalone donation centers. So 51 total. And how big are you in terms of annual revenues, number of employees? Well, we took about a $20 million hit this year. Uh, we were planning on being around 70 million and we're way below that this year. Um, and unfortunately, uh, that's all pandemic related. Wait, wait, when you say, wait, wait, you, you said you were 70 goes to 50, meaning less people were coming in to buy. The 50 is top line revenue. Right, right. So what, what happened in during the pandemic is people didn't. No, they didn't weren't. Want, they, didn't, well, actually, Neil, in the early part of the pandemic, they were shut down completely. 
they were not allowed to operate. Exactly. So you were not allowed to operate from March until June-ish, I'm guessing? Or? Yes, we didn't get fully back operational until almost the end of July. By the time we were able to bring back our employees and uh, you know get staffed up, uh, we did it incrementally, but it was almost end of July before we were able to operate all of our stores. And then you know we had the capacity issue of being dropped to 50% and then back now we're at 20%, and that has really hurt our revenue. When you say 20%, you mean the number of people that are allowed occupancy. in the store? Yeah, occupancy, the amount of people that are allowed in How the store. How are you doing on the trucks? You know, I, 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 I go up to Orange County sometimes, and I park with the thing where you, you can park, uh, where the park and ride or whatever, and there's always a Goodwill truck there, giant. Uh, how, does that, how do those not-in-the-store businesses do? Yeah. We've been running trucks the whole time. Uh, we were told to close down, but people kept bringing things and dumping them at our site. So we got permission and, and Barbara helped us a little bit with that to operate our trucks and keep collecting the donations that were being brought to us. And that's been an interesting dilemma for us because normally the more donations we have, the more revenue we can make. And it, it really is a great thing for our organization. And we're so grateful and thankful to our community for that. But in 2020, that really the, the amount of donations that we got were very costly because now we're storing them. We don't have enough revenue output to be able to move those products quickly. And so we're having to pay for extra storage. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of uh, extra distribution centers that we've had and our trucks of course have uh, just run continuously. So our transportation costs have been way high uh, so it's, it's been a difficult year for Goodwill. So this is an interesting conundrum. First, you're shut down completely. You're not allowed to be open, even though you can go to Costco or Vons or Target. And I think that whole thing was very, very unfair. And during this time, your donations are actually increasing. I remember getting a call that people were just piling them up behind your stores and you had to figure out a place you had to, as you said, rent all this extra warehouse space to store this stuff. And now you're limited to 20% of capacity inside your stores. That's why I'm seeing a line outside and some people won't wait in line. They are frustrated. So I'm sure this has been a very, very challenging time where you probably, there's more demand on both ends. You know, people want to give you stuff and people want to buy stuff and you're const artificially constrained in some way. Exactly, Barbara. Yeah. And you know, it's during COVID, everybody's staying home. They want to clean out their closets and the kitchens. And you know, so it, they, they have all this stuff and we've asked them to hold it or only bring us the sellable stuff uh, that they have, those wonderful treasures that we can sell in our stores. But you know, they have a need and we've been about convenience for 91 years, you know, mm -hmm. people, you know, mm -hmm. people use uh, Goodwill as a way to move their products out of their house when they no longer need them. And then we turn that into revenue to support our mission. And it usually works very well. Uh, this year, it's uh, been a real interesting time. So tell us, you know, you're much more than just stores uh, and donations. What are the other things that Goodwill has done? And honestly, what is your mission? Yeah. Well, our mission is to, uh, you know, provide 
employability and training for individuals with disabilities and other barriers to employment. And what that means is that we really take people where they're at, and generally these people have a significant barrier, whether it's a disability or maybe they were incarcerated or they've just come out of rehab, they, they need that helping hand to get up and get back into employment. So we train them and then we employ them. And that was you know, a big hit for us too because we had to lay, over, lay off over 1,200 people in 2020 and then rehire back. So now we have 986, but of course we paid their unemployment during all of that time. So that was a couple of million dollars uh, to our bottom line. So, you know, that's just contrary to what we do is lay people off. We want to hire people, get them back to work. So that's our main mission. And we do that uh, by the locations that we operate. Generally, we, we strive for over 50% of our staff to be a person with a disability or a barrier. And then we train them, then we develop them, and then we hope that they'll either be promoted with goodwill or go out into the community and find better, higher paying jobs. Can you, one second, can I buy online from Goodwill yes. or do I have to come? No, you can buy online. We have an e-commerce platform, shopgoodwill.org, and you can go there. And, and that's one of the things we pivoted to was a lot more online uh, items to sell because that's something that we can do when the occupancy is low in our stores. Programs that we've been running all summer mission programs, uh, all of them virtually. We did everything in person pre-pandemic. Uh, so, so all your employment training was done in person and now you yeah. had to do it online. Yes, so we quickly pivoted and put everything online. In fact, uh, Southwestern College uh, is using one of our training platforms for their people with disabilities to help them transition. Uh, we've, uh, I, I'm really proud of our mission services team and the way they were able to quickly um, put everything online. We still have in-service, uh, in-person services for individuals that don't have technology. And we're seeing that that is the case uh, with some individuals. So they can go online at sdgoodwill.org and make an appointment to have a face-to-face in-person. Uh, so I want to ask you a, a question. Uh, what keeps you from picking up? You know, it's a very costly way to collect donations. We found uh, many years ago that we were much more effective and efficient if we made don uh, donation centers close enough to communities where people could bring it to us and drop it off. Uh, the cost of going house to house to pick up is is was just more than what we could do. And the volume of what the community wants to give to us, it, it just makes it easier to have convenient donation centers. And, right. and it, like we said, in over 44 locations. Right, and you seem to be getting them. Well, Tony, you have a great story. Uh, we're excited to learn more after the break. Uh, please stay with us. We'll have more from Tony uh, about Goodwill of San Diego County. The COVID pandemic has hit America hard. Nationwide, black individuals have seen 2.6 times greater infection rate than their white counterparts. The news is especially frightening for African-Americans who are at a greater risk of severe complications from COVID-19 due to underlying conditions such as heart disease, 
diabetes, and obesity. I'm Dr. Shirley Weber, the Assemblywoman from the 79th, and I'm encouraging everyone in our communities to do their part. Get tested, mask up, and avoid gatherings. Visit blackcovidfactssd.org. Welcome back to I'm There For You, Baby, the Entrepreneur's Guide to the Galaxy. And uh, the Galaxy currently is a little bit remote, and we're Zooming. So if you hear uh, children or airplanes or Goodwill trucks in the back, uh, that explains it. Barbara, what do we got? Yeah, well, Neil, we're here with our guest, uh, Tony Giffen, uh, the president and CEO of Goodwill of San Diego County. Uh, And she has been discussing with us the challenges that this organization has faced uh, because of COVID. So Tony, tell our listeners, what types of donations do you most need at Goodwill? We need, Barbara, anything that is sellable. So what that means is if you would go into a store and buy it, we want that. What we find is that sometimes as people are cleaning out their, you know, their houses and their garages, is just everything comes to us. And that causes us to have to pay for landfill fees if it's trash. Uh, Large, large uh, dollars expense goes to hazardous waste, if you can believe it, uh, because uh, we have to have, we pay fees at every location for cosmetics and lotions and paint that's given to us, things that we can't sell but come to us mixed in with their other donations. So we really don't want those things, mattresses, pillows, um, because that costs and really takes from the bottom line of what we can spend for our mission. But anything that's sellable, that's in good shape, that you might want to buy or your friends might want to buy or that you would give. I always say, if you would give it to somebody you love, we want it. and generally, that's a, that's a good way to, to determine whether or not it's a, it's a good item to give to Goodwill. So are there certain things that are best sellers? Oh, of course. Uh, clothes, you know, uh, what we call textiles are our biggest sellers. People love to uh, buy clothes. And right now, with sustainability uh, in the environment being so top of mind for people, uh, it's, it's the trend to buy, uh, to buy used and to reuse products. So clothing is always huge. And then of course, household items. People love to come in because dishes go out of style, but they're still good. Uh, You know, all the appliances, small appliances, uh, decor, paintings, uh, all the, you know, knickknacks and things that people put in their house and get tired of and want to change out. We can use those because they become new to somebody else. So, Tony, how do you handle uh, the tax deductibility? I, I bring in six boxes. I think they're worth $23,000. Um, who determines that it's worth $23,000 or $23? We don't determine that. That's really up to the donor. They, if they want to do an at- itemized uh, donation tax return, then they would list what they, you know, what they feel that it's worth. They put it on, and we give no value. That's good. And you defend when the uh, tax court calls? No, <laughs> that's why we don't give any value. You don't, you don't provide defense. They, right. And so during the pandemic, were you able to access the Paycheck Protection Program or any other type of uh, assistance? No, Barbara, we weren't. Uh, we are a large employer in San Diego County. We, as I mentioned, we had about 1,400 employees when the pandemic hit. So 
it was only available for organizations less than 500. So we really had no uh, subsidy during that time. Wow, so you really had to make some painful decisions. What, what keeps you up at night right now? I think right now, mostly getting back on our feet in the retail. We've been uh, for 91 years self-sufficient and being able to provide our mission to the community through the sale of used goods. And with the 20% capacity, we're having a 10 to $20,000 hit a day in, in less revenue than we even did in October when we thought we were gonna be able to make a pretty good comeback. We, we were in the black for the first time uh, in October so wait, wait, Tony, since this makes no sense at all, what we really need to do is contact a politician because this 20% rule applies to you, but not to Target or Costco makes no sense, correct? It applies to everyone. How they're applying it is, um, you know, I guess for the, you know, the business to decide. No, but, no, but they actually raised the limit for grocery stores. Oh, that's true. That's yeah. for food. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it doesn't seem it rational. does to us. And you know, our people and our employees know that. And I, you know, one of our core values is credibility. So we're not gonna say to our employees, oh, just let everybody in. Uh, we're going to do what is asked of us and keep people safe. And, you know, cause that's another thing, Barbara, as you can imagine, uh, if somebody gets sick in one of our stores, we had the two weeks of uh, paid leave that we had to pay. So all of those things, plus the uh, re furbishing of our stores with plexiglass and masks for everybody and the uh, sanitizing systems that we have had to put into place to make sure everything was COVID free. <laughs> there, was, there was great expense uh, all across the organization during 2020. So you know, we really need to make revenue to be able to pay for all of that as well. Great. So what do you see ahead for Goodwill for the next year? Well, we're continuing our paid training program. We're really looking at uh, the individuals that are were hit the hardest and most vulnerable uh, and laid off and are really having a hard time getting jobs back. So we've opened up our paid training program. We're really looking for employees. We've had a hard time uh, getting employees back to work. I think a lot of them felt very vulnerable or didn't want the health risks. So that's been a challenge for us. We. We want good employees, we're, we're open and ready. I hope people that are listening to this that know somebody that wants a job, that they go on to sdgoodwill.org and uh, look for a job there that might fit them. We've got jobs in e-commerce in all of our stores at our donation site, open to many, many positions across the organization. Well, that's wonderful. You're hiring at a time that many people are out of work. Is there any last thing you'd like to tell our listeners about Goodwill? I'd just like to give a little bit of the outcomes from 2020 in the midst of all the negative that I said. We, we were still operating, our mission was still strong. We wanted to be relevant in the community. So we enrolled in, in 2020 over 1800 um, people in our mission services and we placed 985 people in jobs. Uh, so that, you know, is, we're really proud of that. And we have supported employment, which are individuals with developmental disabilities. We've been able to hire and, and keep employed 126 in our retail store. And then our ticket to work uh, program that is for people with disabilities that are trying to get off of SSI or SSDI, but they want to do it in a safe way. 
Uh, we've helped over 41 people do that in 2020. Well, so that's good numbers there. Great. Well, it's great to hear all the great things you're doing for the community, as well as providing a wonderful place for people to make donations and to buy items at a lower price and save you know, many, many things from going into the landfill. Uh, Tony, we thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to share. I'm Tony Giffen, President and CEO of Goodwill Industries of San Diego County. You're listening to I'm There For You Baby, The Entrepreneur's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, Tony Giffen, the CEO of Goodwill, was fascinating to talk to her. Got an interesting business model. So I'm in the business of business and the cost of goods now watch this. When you drop something off at Goodwill, the cost of goods is zero. So they start with a cost of goods is zero. And they produce revenue. But the margin is limited because it's so expensive to train people with challenges or disabilities, to sort out the paint can and the broken stuff from a really nice dress. They have to worry about a lot of regulations. And so their cost to operate is dramatically higher than a normal business while their cost of goods is zero. Right. And, and of course their and of course their prices are low. So yeah. yeah so but it's a it's a great operation. And and combine that with second chance and AMVETs and wounded warriors and the whole issue of giving people a leg up and a chance. I'm all that is the baby. I'm I'm there for that. There's no right. question. Right, and it was a nice contrast with our first get, Brett Peace, uh, of you know who's in the cannabis industry, which has boomed during the pandemic, which was considered a critical industry, which never had to shut down, unlike Goodwill, which had to shut down in the early part of the pandemic and now faces uh, occupancy restrictions. Uh, they can only have occupy have their businesses, their stores operated at 20% of capacity, which means that's why I'm seeing the lines outside. Uh, so, you know, as Tony noted, they've had a severe decline in revenue, even though donations are up and they've had to rent warehouse space, you know, an additional expense um, during, during this challenging time. Okay, well, um, we're both there for you babies. And uh, that's it for this show. We hope you can join the baby team next week. Our team of our producer, JC Polk, my husband, Neil Centuria, and me as we talk more about innovation and entrepreneurship. Thank you for listening to I'm There For You Baby, presented by IVN. Listeners, we'd love to hear your thoughts about future guests for our podcast. Please email us at info at I'mThereForYouBaby.com. Therefore You Baby is produced in San Diego, California, America's finest city.